The first cell phone was demonstrated in 1973 by Martin Cooper. You know what wasn't demonstrated? Shared plans. Over 50 years later, you can save on one line thanks to Visible. When you switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible, you can get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just 25 bucks a month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees. No, really. You can look around for them. They're not there. Switch now at Visible.com. Save on wireless without the hassle. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Beyond and hello, everyone. My name is Jonathan Dornbush, and this is episode 602 of Podcast Beyond, IGN's weekly PlayStation show. I'm joined this week by Max Scoville. Howdy. Hey there, Max, and Lucy O'Brien. Hello. Glad to have you both here uh, for this wonderfully quiet in the office pre-Gamescom week. Mm-hmm. Um, a few of the people in the office are already out. As you may notice, Brian is not here. He's already over in Europe, not for Gamescom. Uh, he's recording Fast Travel right now, uh, the awesome travel show that we do. Uh, so he's getting to enjoy Europe while we're here. He's been like sending me pictures from Brussels, and he's like, look at this majestic courtyard. And I'm like, I'm at the office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he keeps putting, posting these like photo series on his Instagram. He's like, these beautiful, amazing buildings everywhere I turn. And it's like, we have another game case over there. Yeah. Uh, but of course, you both will be heading off to Gamescom pretty soon. Yeah. Yeah, we've got like a bunch of stuff going on there. Um, as f- uh, What is it? IGN is the like official Gamescom like partner. Uh, no, media partner. Yes. For streaming. Yeah. All of the show, which yeah. means we're going to be streaming it in both English and German. Uh, it's kind of the same deal we do with, uh, you know, with E3 or Comic Con. Um, we're actually going to be in what is it, Hall Seven? I think Hall Seven. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to be like out there. I think we were just in a big fish tank and just doing lots <laughs> of interviews and demos and things like that, like we always do. And uh, I'll be up there asking the hard hitting questions, like, "Tell me about these new mechanics and <laughs> what can fans look forward to in this." Latest installment. The biggest question. Yes. Wow. Yes. That like, you know, that is hard hitting journalism. What I'm um, a little sort of worried about is that usually when I come from Australia to Germany, I'm like, like, I understand the jet lag. Like, I get it. It's like the yeah. opposite. So, you know, day is night, night is day. Here, it's like this weird, like now I've become acclimatized to the United States. It's going to be this weird, like half jet lag. And I don't know what to expect and I'm nervous. I've never dealt with it before. Yeah, I do so. really horribly going that direction. Mm. Um, it's weird because I'll go to if I go to like Asia or if I go sort of backwards, I feel like suddenly like I'm a functional morning person. But <laughs> going towards Europe, I just get this like I'll get at like four o'clock in the afternoon. I just suddenly want to die because my body thinks it's like <laughs> I, I don't know what I think. It, I think it, I've, it thinks I pulled an all nighter, and now it's that part where like the sun comes up, and you're like, go to bed. Oh, that's a horrible feeling. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like my first time going to going to Europe period was uh was gamescom back in 2014 and it was uh i just started at ign and i think i was sort of figuring things out and it was a lot and uh i don't know i'm sort of nervous about it because of that Um, yeah i mean gamescom is such an interesting one like i'm very excited and i'm really looking forward to you know for everyone to check out the coverage that we produce um but it's an interesting one because it's it's not it's not as 
as flashy as E3. It's not as big. What, I mean, it is physically much bigger. <laughs> but in terms of announcements and that sort of thing, it's not really that kind of a show. So I'm really intrigued by what we might see this year because there are some interesting interesting little things happening. It's a weird gap year where, especially given like the downplayed version of E3, I think a lot of people have been like, will Gamescom be bigger as a result? Mm-hmm. And I think we won't really know until we get through the show. Like obviously we have uh, Jeff Keighley's opening night press conference sort of thing kicking off the show that we haven't had in years past. So hopefully that brings some stuff with that and we'll talk about that a bit later in the show. I hope, there, I hope there's some surprises. Yeah. Uh, yeah, me too. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 odd because I think that we we tend to cover shows the different like the same way every time, but they're different fundamentally shows. Like like E three historically was a was a trade show. Yeah. And Comic Con has always been a, a fan convention and Gamescom has always been a little bit of each. And it's also like it's pretty new. Yeah. This is yeah. The, this is the tenth one. And it's also it is massive. It is the biggest, like the biggest event. I think it was like three hundred and seventy thousand people attended that's last exact, year. Yeah. yeah, that's the number. Which is not that's, insignificant. That's <laughs> like the Colne Mesa, the the convention center is like the one of the biggest structures I've ever been to. Just to like put it in perspective, uh, usually at an E three or something, if you've never been um, in in an editorial capacity or a media capacity, you know, you go behind closed doors and you'll get given like a Red Bull and like some you know red vines or whatever, like as a Sugary yeah. sweet treat, you know. <laughs> um, at Gamescom, like I remember what, going what into appointments. Are you going to? <laughs> <laughs> I went to THQ Nordic last year to see. I've forgotten. Um, it was clearly great, uh, and there was the 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 booth was so big. The media booth was so big that they had like a whole craft beer bar and shaved meats. Wow. Ooh. So I'm really hoping that that returns this year because that was a real Gamescom highlight. <laughs> Good heavens. Cold it, cuts. That's a lot nicer than maybe a water bottle that you get at E3. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, we'll be having a lot of coverage about that. I think we have around 28 hours of live stream coverage between the 20th and the 24th. And then we're also streaming uh, the opening night press conference on the 19th, mm-hmm. which if you're in the U.S. is during the daytime hours, despite the name. Uh, so stay tuned for all of that coverage. Uh, these two wonderful people and many others over in Germany will be bringing you so much from that live show. Uh, I just want to quickly yeah. interject that I apologize to anyone watching this because this microphone just wants to keep Does it keep leaning? Sliding. Ooh, I've had that. And I just want to let everyone know that I am aware of it. And yes, <laughs> I am trying to rectify the situation. You're going to keep leaning back and forth. Do you think it uh, is noticeable for people like who are just listening at home? I don't think it is noticeable like You get like a Doppler them. effect? <laughs> Lucy gets further <laughs> You'll need to speak Lucy up. Lucy in a stereo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, however you're hearing Lucy at home, either on video or audio, why don't we jump into News Crunch? I'm going to make sure the audio works this time. Crunch. <laughs> that certainly was the audio. It was. Uh, last week, or er, for episode 600, it didn't, and I had to put it in manually, so that was fun. Uh, of course, News Crunch, every week we break down all of the news, big and small, going on in the world of games and in PlayStation. Uh, there's a lot of small little updates we have going on. There's not a ton of like big breaking news, especially around the biggest AAA stuff, uh, but wanted to kick it off. First mention, a couple first-party uh, PlayStation 4 and PSVR exclusive stuff. Uh, Firewall Zero Hour has a big new update. Uh, it's called Operation Dark Web. I believe it's live as of us recording this today, uh, so it's out. 
the developers first contact entertainment were writing on the PlayStation blog saying, as we approach the one-year anniversary of Firewall Zero Hour's launch, we're continually awed and humbled by the reception of our game by the PSVR community. Um, and they went on to describe what will be in Operation Nightfall. It's a really huge update. Uh, sort of, they've been rolling out content in these different operations. Um, and I haven't played it much since launch, admittedly, because I don't have an aim controller at home, and that is the best way to play this game. But Max, you and I went to that preview event around launch time. Yeah, that was really and fun. Yeah, it's um, a really fun jump game. back into this because I know it was like it's a it's a solid game, and clearly they've been they've been patching in more stuff and updating it and supporting it, which is the, I feel like that is the that's games these days. You know, yes. they come out, yeah. and you're like, is it cool? And you're like, it's pretty good. And then like a year and a half later, you're like, it's actually extremely good. You weren't paying attention. Uh, yeah, this one's a lot of fun, and I know there's still a pretty de dedicated audience. Uh, some members of the Beyond Facebook group were saying for people who are interested, like, you can easily still join a game uh, these days. It's not like a waning player base, uh, but for op Operation Dark Web, did I say that right? Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, you'll be getting new maps, new contractors, new weapons and equipment, new cosmetics, a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, they've already had Operation Nightfall completed. Operation Dark Web is the newest one, and then the next operation in their sort of like season pass of things is currently in encrypted so we'll find out about more of that in the future um but i'm really happy to see that sort of support especially with a psvr game obviously there's like a smaller base for psvr but it's cool to see them supporting it like this and the yeah. uh, uh the new no man's sky update drops tomorrow right yes on the 14th yeah uh, yeah so that's whatever, a, this, whatever day this is. i think that's the day the show goes up cool yeah so that's a that's a good it's a good week for vr stuff yes yeah it's definitely if you have a psvr you're thinking of picking up a psvr it's not a bad time to jump in uh, moving on from that, wanted to also mention, uh, since just we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, uh, Dark Horse Books and Pixel Opus announced The Art of Concrete Genie, an art book, uh, 160 pages full of the art from the game. Uh, it comes out December 10th, so it's a little bit after the game's launch. Uh, but you can do you can currently pre-order the hardcover version on Amazon currently. It's twenty nine ninety nine, and then a digital version is eighteen dollars. Uh, when I went to go visit the studio, uh, I wanted to bring this up because at the studio, all of their walls are just surrounded in the artwork that they've been making for the game, sort of as just like inspiration for themselves as they go through it. And there's just it's like this gorgeous, vibrant color palette of dense go the world that you explore come to life like around their walls. Um, so definitely a game that is centered around art. I'm glad they're doing this for. Yeah. Uh, moving on from that, I wanted to briefly mention, because I know these are always interesting, especially during the summer months, uh, the top PlayStation downloads for July. Uh, the top PS4 game was Minecraft. Uh, number two, GTA V, and then number three, Plants vs. Zombies Garden Warfare 2. Still can't say Garden Warfare correctly. Uh, that's from it a couple weeks ago. You I don't know why. That's so weird. That's a really weird tick that I've developed, apparently. Mm. Uh, that one, I think, is because, and I saw this, it was or may still be on sale for $1.94 or something extreme during this PlayStation wow. summer sale, so you can get that game pretty cheap. Huh. Uh, PSVR, number one game, still Beat Saber, uh, Super Hot VR at number two, and then Vacation Simulator at number three. And then free-to-play games, don't even think Fortnite and Apex Legends. Um, so nothing too surprising to me there. Uh, interest that there's a huge tick in uh, tick up in Minecraft downloads, I guess. I don't know what that yeah, would honestly, be about. Honestly, looking at this, it's like the top three is Minecraft... GTA and then Plants versus I'm like so that's just it, a lot of kids. Is it 2012 again? Like, what <laughs> yeah. Well, and especially uh, we saw this with the July sales numbers. And by the way, I checked just to make sure uh, sales MPD sales should not be dropping during the middle of the show. I believe they're coming out this Thursday, so we'll miss those. But um, those were also the first time we found out that digital sales on Sony had surpassed uh, retail sales for the month. So obviously, the kids at home. 
love the family-friendly games. Um, but moving on from that, also wanted to mention a couple. THQ Nordic, as you had mentioned earlier, Lucy, uh, they announced just a whole series of like crazy special editions recently. We didn't talk about it before, but a couple weeks ago they announced the Darksiders Genesis special edition. That's the Nephilim edition. It includes a limited-run Darksiders board game with it. Uh, but in addition to that, this week they announced the Biomutant Collector's Edition. That's what I was there to see. And the f- That's what I was <laughs> there to see. I was there to see Biomutant. Okay. It's suddenly all coming back to me. That was it. It was great. I really yeah. enjoyed the look of that game. That game's looked really fun. And now I want this collector's Yeah, edition. I want to play that game. So it's still slated to come this year, apparently. They don't have a release date, but in announcing the $400 Atomic Edition, uh, it comes with a high-detail diorama, uh, 60 centimeters long by 25 centimeters in width and 30 centimeters in height. Uh, the game, a steelbook, a larger XL t-shirt, an oversized mouse pad, artwork on fabric A1 size, by mutant soundtrack, and a premium box. Uh, so that's what you get for the $400, was it? Wowzers. $400. Do you guys ever shell out for collector's editions? I haven't in years. Right. So my whole thing with that, I don't even. I didn't even jump on that for um for Death Stranding. I was tempted, but I think that like, if a game is is good enough, it'll it'll get collectibles of its own. And I feel like collectors editions are are all too often. And there are there are exceptions, obviously. All too often, they're kind of cash ins, and mm-hmm. like the collectible part of it is like, you know, kind of a little bit like flimsy. Yeah, yeah not yeah. not but yeah, not like, well I would, made. I would just as soon wait for an art book or mm. get the soundtrack on vinyl or you know hopefully get a proper action figure. But these like these statues they always come with are kind of. I know some people are really into them, but like, I implore you go and visit your <laughs> local toy store and check out some like, I don't know. There's some really great collectors yeah, out there. The mm-hmm. last time I bought a collector's edition, I think was 2011 with Arkham City. Like that's the last one I remember because it actually was a pretty decent black and white Batman statue with it. But was that the one where he's holding up the Joker? No, no. This is one where he's kind of like proud, like right. ready to strike. Wasn't that just like the box art? Basically, was, yeah. yeah. Um, that was the last one I bought, but I had always still felt burned from the Bioshock collector's edition way back when, which had the Big Daddy, but a lot of them came with a faulty drill arm. That f- fell off, and mine was one of those. Um, so I've always kind of felt like you were saying, Max. I wait for like fan gamer or mm-hmm. I am a bit to put out like cool collectibles and things like I, that. I think my favorite was the Max Payne 3 one, which uh, we got one at the the Rev3 Games office and we had it on like a shelf somewhere and it was it was PVC, so it's like, you know, kind of squishy plastic and over the years he just gradually in a very Max Payne style just slowly started tilting one direction <laughs> like really slowly too so it was yeah. like we look up one day and we're like that man is at a 45 degree angle. Like, <laughs> of all the characters who would be, you know, hurtling towards the ground. Max Payne is definitely one of them. Yeah. So. I've always thought that Rockstar paid the most attention to good merch. Yeah. No, oh, they, for sure. that's their stuff is hilarious, um, both in terms of stuff they sell in their store, but also like like weird like I mean they they're famous for like giving out like they're like, oh we get rolling papers, you know, and they're like, oh here's a you know like all their their stuff always has stash boxes in it too. Yeah, there's always like there's a little like, like drug element. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. For the kids. For the kids, yeah. They put out the a, a plushie of of Chopper from GTA Five. I had that plushie. It had, like, plushy. It had a, <laughs> a a pocket in a very inappropriate place. Yeah, sounds about right. Awful, <laughs> awful, just misbehaving man. The only thing I can think of, like Max, I totally agree with you that usually if you look for the outside the collector's edition statues or things like that, those are the ones to get. I especially like since I've been here. Obviously, collector's editions come and go through the office for mm. unboxings and things like that. But the one that always just like sticks with me is we've had the statue from the Battlefield One collector's edition. It used to sit at Chloe's desk and it, Chloe Rad, and it 
has detachable arms so you could give it different guns essentially but we would stick like Thor's hammer or a different statue or just so many things in the armholes instead we of had actual a, we had a statue of some it was like the guy with the big the big cleaver from from Dark Souls who has like just a helmet with like a empty space in oh it. yeah and we would take like the hand that's holding like the Mauser pistol and just jam it in that hole so it's just <laughs> this giant like goth knight with just like a gun for a face <laughs> It's I don't know why they would send us these things. But, <laughs> yeah. I actually I love that Battlefield one because it, he bears a striking resemblance to young Eddie Murphy. Oh. And I've been very tempted to steal that head and make a custom Axel Foley action figure. You should absolutely I'd do love that. love Beverly Hills Cop. That would be great. Uh, I don't think whoever's desk it on would mind. Uh, the other special edition THQ Nordic announced this week was the Destroy All Humans Crypto 137 edition, which includes not only a statue of Crypto the Alien, but also a crypto-shaped backpack that will ride on your back, uh, as our writer just Newt wrote, like some kind of extraterrestrial baby possum. I really, I really hate it. <laughs> it's so, pretty gross. Like, it's pretty, like... Yeah, it is I a, wouldn't want to put that on my back. Like, I would feel a bit like, ugh. It is a giant, ugh. yeah, just giant weird. This, I, I think the only way this is a, remotely acceptable if you're wearing it in public is if you are at a rave selling drugs out of it. <laughs> yeah. Like wearing one of those cat in the hat hats and a lot of glow sticks. But you know that, like, you'd come out of the rave as the drug seller wearing the backpack and it would be all, like, sticky yeah. yep. and covered in bits of fluff because it looks like it would get sticky and yeah. fluff really fast. I want to know what the material is for it because I imagine it, it being like, like silicon. Yeah, it feels like it's trying to go for like a fleshy look. Oh, that's but even that's worse. yeah, that's what I'm worried about. And everyone was... loves a fleshy backpack. Ugh, no, thank you. Uh the Crypto 137 edition also comes with a physical version of the game. Good. Uh a 60 centimeter tall figure of Crypto holding Earth in his hand and a gun, a keychain of Crypto's head, six lithograph art pieces, a crypto-shaped stress toy with bulging eyes, all in-game crypto skins and a special box. So if you're buying this, it costs $400. You better like Crypto. Or if he's somehow not the part of uh, Destroy All Humans that you enjoy, you shouldn't buy this edition. Um, I swear there was an edition, I can't remember a while back, but it had all this stuff in it but didn't come with the game. That's actually extremely common. Does that happen more and more? That happens a lot because uh, it's... uh, A lot of people buy digitally, but also like different SKUs for different platforms. It it makes it so that it's like, oh, what? Like, they don't... I, I guess... You know, they don't want to wind up with a bunch of Xbox One copies for something if people are buying it mostly on PS4. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, so if you are... I think that's the reasoning. I, I don't know. I don't work at GameStop. Uh, if you are a fan of THQ Nordics games, obviously there's a lot of $400 uh, versions of games you can look forward to buying. I'm sure Barrett Courtney is waiting for the $400 version of the Battle for Bikini Bottom remaster, though. Uh, moving on from that, wanted to briefly mention, just because it's been a long gestating game, uh, Knights and Bikes is finally confirmed for a PS4 launch uh, coming to PS4 and Steam on August 27th. Uh, so that is a really, really adorable uh, i believe it's a roguelike um that was being published by double fine but i don't know if it still is because of the whole you know being bought by microsoft thing uh but this is a really really cute looking game uh about two little i believe wonderful english children uh in a wonderful roguelike adventure so if you haven't looked into that game you totally should uh i was looking though ahead the end of this month is bizarrely busy for being the end of August. Like, obviously, we're in the middle of convention still and everything, but Knights and Bikes, Control, Man of Medan, a few other things are all coming out right before August even ends. Uh, and I feel like the fall on Rush is just, we're here. Blair Witch as well. Blair Witch on the what 30th, are, yeah. It seems almost like publishers are trying to get out of the way of something. Like, the, I mean, there's the usual sort of dump of stuff towards the end, but I feel like so much stuff got pushed towards early 2020 that there's almost like a, it's almost slower in like October and November than we're used to. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, last year, the whole thing was like, get out of Red Dead's way. But mm -hmm. this year, yeah, there's not, obviously, Modern Warfare will be big because Call of Duty always is, but there is no other like, oh, make sure you stay away from that. I like, assumedly, Jedi Fallen Order will be big. But Yeah, that's a big one. There's, I mean, there's um, the Tom Clancy breakpoint. Um, what else? Like, what else? I guess Gears, that's September. Yeah, but you only need to worry about that if you're on Xbox. Yeah. It's Death Stranding. Nintendo has a bunch of things coming out, but again, yeah, that's just for Switch. Yeah. Pokemon, it's Luigi's just, Mansion, I, Zelda. Yeah, I don't know. It's an odd, it's an odd fall right Yeah. Now. I feel like I was, I, I'm in the same spot, spot I was going into E3 where I'm like, there's going to be a bunch of surprise stuff that's going to come out. And then it's like, huh. And I'm like, I'm, there's stuff I'm looking forward to. Like, I'm very, very excited about Death Stranding and uh, Jedi Fallen Order and, uh, and Control, but like, I don't know. I was like, what's, what's the big one? It's just yeah. been a kind of muted year in general. Yeah. yeah. Like, very just, it does just feel like this is, very much the calm before the storm. This oh week. yeah! You know what? I think I'm going to save some money. I'm going to get that that uh, crypto backpack. Oh, you know? yeah. I think that wear is it on the excellent, show, excellent yeah. plan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if we get that into the office, I will absolutely wear that on the show. Fill it with red vines. <sighs> red vines and Red Bull, Oof. the classic duo. Uh, moving on from that, I had to mention this because, of course, I'm me. Uh, I'm reading off of Push Square, so thank you to Push Square and Stephen Talby there. Uh, but there was an Activision earnings call recently, uh, and during that call, Activision president. President Rob Kostich uh, said that there was a fantastic response to both the Spyro and Crash remakes and that he believes there's a, a big opportunity to, quote, think about totally new content within these IPs um, and it said that both of these remakes had, quote, a big impact on the bottom line, which obviously isn't confirmation of new games in the franchise, but it feels like Activision is probably looking at more Crash and Spyro in the future, which I'm all for. I feel like they're weird in the like landscape of 2019, 2020, especially going into new consoles, uh, what family-friendly 3D platformers are. Do, yeah. like, do you think there is a big enough market for new versions of these games? Because these were so obviously playing on like a nostalgia. Yeah, I'd be really interested to see um, a breakdown of, I mean, who, how I would find this information. I have no idea. But like, you know, how many uh, kids played those games and how many, you know, people were our age just playing it purely because we remembered it from our childhoods. Like, yeah, I'd be interested to see if kids actually enjoyed playing those two games. Yeah. What's interesting to me is... Uh, when I say two games, I mean two. The two collections. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Plus CTR this year. What's interesting is uh, Activision, because of Skylanders, has kind of positioned Spyro for a younger audience, mm. uh, continually including the fact that they have a Skylanders animated series on Netflix. Uh, which also introduced uh, an Australian Crash Bandicoot for uh, two or three wonderful episodes. Too frightening. He was, yeah. Um, but it seems like a no-brainer that they'd continue going with these, especially after spending all this time on these remakes and all the assets that went along with that. Um, but yeah, I just wonder where they will go from here, especially as we're getting to a new generation. Um, I would love to see more entries in this, but they're definitely a different market especially when Activision basically only makes Call of Duty these days. Yeah, I mean, they seem like they're very kind of go big or go home, and they kind of always have been, where they're like, eh, this isn't making us billions. Let's, you know, let's cut it loose. I mean, the fact that they were like, eh, Destiny's not doing quite what we wanted to. They, they yeah. Go home. Um, so I don't know what you do with something like, you know, Crash or Spyro, but it would be kind of cool. I mean, for a second there, uh, Skylanders felt very much like it was, it had, it had like, it had RPG elements. It had like, mm -hmm. it had some surprisingly deep stuff in there for a kid's game. And it would be so cool to see them, uh, I don't know, take something that's big right now with, with like grown-up gamers and like find a way to sort of, like, what if they made a, what if they made a Spyro Souls-like? 
Like, <laughs> I mean, you know, Sekiro did really well. Yeah. Like, they're like, oh, this is the direction things are going. Let's make a, you know, let's make an all ages, you know, hard as nails ish game for like, you know, that features the beloved character. Manageably difficult. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's the odd thing where there's entire genres that we see, uh, do really well when they're Ammer T rated, but you don't see like the kids version of it. Uh, I mean, the exception being Plants vs. Zombies, which is like, oh, it's a that's a third person shooter, but with plants. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, but I mean, the fact that kids are playing Fortnite, which is you know, that's got some gun stuff in it, but there's obviously like you know, there's kind of weird climate surrounding that. I don't know if Activision really gives a damn because of how much they have COD, but uh, I mean, it'd be cool to see like, oh, here's uh, here's like a dumbed down kids version of of God of War with Crash Bandicoot. Yeah. Or, or like an open world game where you like go out and just go and I don't know open world Crash Bandicoot would be cool as hell. It's yeah, I mean I feel like they try. There was a little bit of that with um Jack and Daxter with the Jack Two and Jack Three. Mm. They were just more kind of of that type of game. Like they were like platformers, but they were far more in a kind of open esque world environment. Like certainly like Jack Two and Three, you kind of felt like you had a degree of freedom. Um, it'd be cool to see something like that, but expanded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like, especially having replayed through all of them, obviously, like Spyro, I think shows the most progression is the most easily adaptable to mm. now versus Crash, which obviously like the forward to backward sort of platformer movement has never been the ideal version of a 2D platformer, uh, even, you know, semi 3D, obviously. But my hope would be like, Toys for Bob, who did Skylanders and then did, <clears throat> excuse me, the Spyro Reignited Trilogy. They are like huge, huge Spyro fans, so I hope they have something in mind for this. But my worry is that Activision may want to annualize these because that's what Activision annualize. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's kind of what ran Spyro and Crash into the ground in the first place was when they just kept pumping these out and handing them off to people so that games could be made. What if we got a Skylanders Battle Royale? Like, I feel like that would kind of be... It'd be sort of well suited for that. You got yeah. different, you know, a bunch of different animals that do all sorts of different stuff, and they're like, just drop them on an island. And, oh yeah, that could easily. I mean, it sounds work. like a you know stupid like what, but I mean that's the kind of thing you say that in a board meeting, and people are like, I know what both of those words mean. Yeah, yeah. Here at Activision, I feel like other places not so much, but yeah. Well, I, don't know. I definitely feel like we'll probably see some unique takes, maybe, but obviously uh, market tested. But I hope that we do see more Crash and Spyro in the years to come. Uh, moving on from that, of a series that also may come back, uh, Splinter Cell. The like nonstop rumors of Splinter Cell maybe being in development and then not being in development, and then uh, Ubisoft devs uh, teasing us about it being in development, and then it's not absolutely in development at all. Um, most recently, Ubisoft CEO Yves Guillemot said uh, he was talking to Chinese video game publication Gamer Sky. You have to do the accent. Oh, I can't do that, Lucy. Can you do it? No. No? Max, can you? I can. All right, Max, why don't you read this quote from Yves Guillemot? On Splinter Cell, there will be some new type of experiences, but more on different devices, Guillermo said in a video interview. So we are working on a lot of the brand today to come back at one point. How was that? Very Perfect. good. That Very was all good. problematic. That's, I'm of that's French all German, I wanted. So okay. I love that. <laughs> I have French friends. It's okay. <laughs> uh, he went on to say that they would uh, have to. Max. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> we had a, Brian and I had this whole bit at E3 where it was like during the, the Ubisoft press event where we just kept just doing impressions of like Ubisoft announcing stuff and we're like, for dozens of years, gamers have wanted to harness the infinite power of the sea and now you can with this sexual dolphin. <laughs> <laughs> we're just like, oh, 
When I was a young boy running through the waves at the beach, I always thought, what if I was the sexual dolphin? (laughs) Anyway. That would have been a great press conference. If you ever Um, wanted to choke a man, well, now you can, it's Sam Fisher. Uh, I have nowhere to go from that, except to say you might actually uh, get to Don't choke you a man hate in fish. <laughs> what if they were up to no good? <laughs> Causing mischief and mayhem. They have even ruined Rayman's world. <laughs> I give you the rabbits. You really Sorry. need to do their press conference next year. <laughs> um, this followed up, though, what's interesting about this. I'm just going to move completely on. Lucy, you take your time that you need to. Uh, <laughs> This is interesting because there was a report earlier this year that said uh, Oculus signed a deal with Ubisoft to bring Splinter Cell and Assassin's Creed to Oculus VR. Um, obviously, we don't have any confirmation from that. So it's unclear now, but it feels like Ubisoft hasn't forgotten Splinter Cell exists, even though we all just keep asking for it to just happen already. But it seems like they're aiming to do something different with it at this point. Would you want to play Splinter Cell in VR? Would you want to be, be Sam Fisher choking a man? In VR. I mean, Ubisoft has such a, a track record for, for jumping on new platforms and trying to sort of like tap into, you know, emergent technology and, and just being, they're always, they're always there with launch titles. Um, and they were there with, uh, you know, a handful of things for PSVR. It's curious to see them kind of not be noticeably present with, with Oculus stuff. But um, I feel like they could very easily be like, we've, we've retooled the Splinter Cell experience to make something that works in VR. Um, I don't think it would be at all what hardcore fans want. Yeah. It would be like the sort of... It'd be like a theme park ride version. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and with that in mind, I'd like to play it, but I can't sort of see myself being as invested as if, you know, it was a fully blown console game, which is what I would want. Yeah. yeah. It, it feels like the, the way the Ubisoft model has evolved, though. I mean, watch, watch Dogs basically took a little bit of Splinter Cell into it, mm. and it's now also a thing that unless... It feels like Ubisoft can add its games as a service elements and these more live and online or multiplayer elements. It doesn't really suit to their business model currently. Um, so like a pretty traditional Splinter Cell, either with single player and co-op, doesn't feel like something they'd release today. Yeah. I would like to see it, though. Okay. Um, moving on, though, for other games that could maybe be coming at some point soon in the future or years from now. Uh, testing will apparently soon begin on an unannounced Resident Evil game. Uh, Capcom has seemingly issued invites to U.S.-based members of its RE Ambassadors program to test a new game currently in development. Um, according to an email via Biohaze, the email said, quote, Hi, Resident Evil Ambassadors. Today, we're reaching out to recruit potential testers from our loyal RE Ambassador community to try out a new game in early development. Uh, other than that, it, they listed some dates and availability of cities that you would need to be in, but there's not information much about uh, what the game is. But the requirement that anyone who is applying for this has is that they have to have uh, played a Resident Evil title in the past, which would seem to imply a new Resident Evil. I find this really exciting because I think that both the Resident Evil remakes and the main core series um, are in a really strong place right now. Yeah. So it's like whatever they do, I feel like we're not going to, you know, um, it's it's going to be something that's really exciting, which is either going to be <clears throat> a new remake, and I really hope they choose Code Veronica because I just think that's such a smart choice, such a great game, um, or uh, it'll be something interesting with Resident Evil 8. Uh, I don't know what that – again, I'm not a game designer, so I don't know what, what, you know what direction they should be taking 8 into, but I really hope that they lean into the first half of 7 and kind of get rid of – 
all of that nonsense at the very end of Seven because I found like the beginning of Seven was such a like a pure terrifying horror experience. I know it wasn't traditionally like Resident Evil because it was like oh you know down south like Texas Chainsaw Massacre style you know Deliverance family, um, but I liked that. I liked that. I, I actually found it really terrifying, and I loved that they lent into that kind of uh, uh, you know the sort of the the survival aspect of the survival horror where you really were helpless. It wasn't just a matter of like not having, you know, having limited ammo and limited herbs, but it was like, no, you will die if you run into this terrifying man. And I loved that. I thought it was really strong. Um, yeah. It's weird when I say that out loud. Uh, I loved running from, I loved running from the terrifying man, but also, you know, on, on the other hand, if they go to, you know, a Resident Evil 2 kind of remake model, uh, I think Resident Evil 2 is still in the top three best games I've played this year. I mm. think it's 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 as close to perfect a video game, a horror video game, as there has ever been. Um, and I'm just so excited to see what they do next. And it still has you running from a terrifying man. Yeah, because so, yeah. he's going to punch you in the face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I would be so happy to see another sort of, uh, one of the classic, you know, RE games that I haven't gotten into get like Code Veronica or three or three's Nemesis, right? Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> one, any one of those. I mean, I just played four. I'd be down to play that again in a new engine, you know? Yeah. I think like, I, you know, there's been some sort of chat around the office as to which, which game we'd want remastered. And a lot of people have said that Resident Evil 4 doesn't need a remaster yet because it still stands mm-hmm. by itself. And I'm I'm kind of inclined to agree. Like I feel like those earlier earlier games are very like prime for a remake. Well, there's a lot left to the imagination. Uh, obviously, the GameCube is not the most graphically <laughs> powerful thing ever, but when it was made back then, uh, RE4, it's still there's a really great sense of atmosphere to that game. Whereas mm. versus the older games, there's the graphics a, are not quite as yeah, there's scary. There's a, a fan HD remake in the works that's been going on forever, and you can look at the sort of side by side graphics things there and mm. it's like it's i don't know it looks it's still like the, the you know the, the ports that they put on ps4 and i mean i played it on switch and i was like this looks great this looks fine it's clunky the the fonts are bad the, <laughs> some of the level design is a little bit weird but fonts really part, age a game don't they yeah, oh right? yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah i mean it's the controls that kind of like need tweaking to be modernized but mm. even that it's like you'd have to kind of gut the whole experience otherwise you get like a like a twin snakes problem um but yeah i mean it's it's i I, don't know, I feel like they should probably just redo six. <laughs> well, just like yeah. not not a remake, just like a, a complete like just a new six, a new yeah. six. Yeah, yeah. Uh, would you care about first person versus third person if they went to next? Like, do you have a preference? Um, I don't specifically have a preference. I, I loved the elegance of of two and how that felt very much. Um, it was a great third person action game, and it very much departed from the original tanky controls of of the original. Yeah. Um, but I also really enjoyed the first person um, experience that was seven. So I, I'm like happy either way because I again I feel really confident as to where the series is at and and the yeah. people driving that series right now. I am. I think that first person horror is too scary. Like <laughs> come to realize that like I just can't really do that. Yeah. And there's a sort of disconnect of like, oh, this is you here doing this. Whereas if you're controlling another character, I'm like, who cares? It's Claire. <laughs> <laughs> she gets bit by those ceiling men. I don't care anymore. It's fine. Especially once you go into VR for it. Yeah, I don't it's... want, I mean, I think it's, I, I fully support it going that direction because I recognize that it is fundamentally scarier and a lot of people kind of want, I mean, like horror, horror ages in a weird way where yeah. when things get sort of like tropes get mined too much or, or things get too sort of, I mean, Resident Evil when it first came out was absolutely terrifying on like PlayStation One, and now it's 
I don't know. You put, you look at those old games. You're like, these are kind of clunky. But then you put you know you put it in like, oh, let's put it in VR in first person, and you're in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre house. And I'm like, that's too scary for me. But you guys have fun. <laughs> I had this really interesting chat. I was writing. This is like many years ago, and I was writing like a state of horror piece for IGN, and I was interviewing a bunch of like directors, you know, well known kind of of well known horror studios. And I think, and don't quote me on this, but I think it was the, one of the guys who worked at Red Barrels, which is like Outlast, Red Barrel or Red Barrels. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was just explaining, like, there is actually such a thing. Because, you know, when, when we think of an effective horror game, we think, okay, you know, you want to be as scared as possible, right? But he was just saying, look, you can't be that relentless. If you're that relentless, people just stop playing. No matter how, like, hardened they are to the genre, it's like you can't just – it can't just be a constant onslaught. And I have played some games where I'm like, oh, okay, like, even I who adore, you know – Adora, I adore a good horror game. Um, there are just some some experiences that is just too much, almost too much, almost yeah. too much. You need that pacing, you need that relief, you need it to be like a you know like a like a beautiful song on a piano where there's cadence and there's light and there's dark. You know what I mean? Otherwise, it's just it, yeah. it's exhausting. No, that's how you give people Stockholm syndrome. You got to have like little moments of niceness mixed in with the, the torment. You know? Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I don't know that from experience. I read that somewhere, but <laughs> it's like I could never. And I I love Alien. I I personally loved Alien Isolation. Um, and, uh, but it's not a game I could play again because I remember playing that and I was just like, mm-hmm. you know, every single, you know, that episode of the Simpsons where Marge is like sitting, but she's just sitting on air cause she's so tense. That was like me playing that game. Yeah. And I can't fathom playing that in VR. Yeah. I mean, there's games that I'm just like, I'm never playing like amnesia. Like the, the first one I saw like let's plays of that that yeah. scared me. And I was like, I don't, I don't, it's, I think it's great that it exists for people, but no, thank you. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that there's also the odd thing with going back to resident evil, like the idea of survival horror has changed a lot where we have like, I mean, Resident Evil itself was like, what if we get you like, you know, you gave you some real cool guns and like really just, you can survive just fine. Like you got like, you have like a giant backpack. You're all good. It's more of an action game. Forget it. The, the survival part has kind of died down a little bit. And then flip side, there's other games that are like, what if you had a camcorder? You get a gun. No, you get a camcorder <laughs> and you can run away or get killed. Like go for it. You know, like that, that level of like not even having the elements of, uh, and I'm, I'm curious about the new Blair Witch for this reason, where it's like, you're not, you can't fight back, period. Yeah. Um, Stay tuned for my coverage of that on the 20th of August. I think I'm allowed to say that. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, what you're talking about, I guess, is more of like that horror simulator where mm. it's like, it, you know, the the idea is basically you have to survive. It's, it's, it's not about killing the monster. It's about like staying alive um, with very little to help you stay alive. Um, yeah, like Outlast and, and, and games like that where it's just – there's nothing you can really do. You just have to run. I love it. I think that's that, horrible. I don't want that. Love it. <laughs> I think that's why kind of, as you were saying before, like I gave up on Alien Isolation because I couldn't stand that tension. Mm. It was just too much for me. Uh, like I do know you had you know objects at your disposal to beat back the alien, but for me it was always just like, no, I'm going to die. I'm just going to always die. Yeah. And that's how it always felt for me. But I, I understand what you mean by that cadence. Yeah. It feels key. Um, but speaking of horror games, uh, we should talk about, uh, given this past week being the fifth anniversary of PT, aka the playable teaser, teaser, especially with uh, Death Stranding coming up. For those who don't know what PT is or never got the chance to play PT because it's unavailable for download anymore, uh, PT was this mysterious horror two-ish hour experience thing that released five years ago um, for the PS4 exclusively. Didn't really know much about it. It came out during Gamescom, I believe. And uh, what it revealed itself to be eventually was a teaser for Silent Hills being made uh, with 
Kojima and Guillermo del Toro and Norman Reedus. And Junji Ito. And Junji Ito. Thank you. Um, of course, that game never came to be, given the fallout between Kojima and Konami. It's still one of the like my biggest heartbreaks since I've been writing and talking about video games, that, that Silent Hills was canned. Yeah. Because PT was one of the more incredible horror experiences I've had. Yeah. Um, to not belabor it too much, because I think we'll talk about bit about the experience of playing it but for those who don't know what the experience was or haven't watched or played it essentially you wake up in a room and then you open up into a hallway of a pretty pretty normal looking house uh you walk through the hallway there's some creaks and weird noises and a wind and everything uh then you get to essentially the door to i believe the garage is the only door that opens uh and then you walk through that door and you're back where you started and it's just this loop that goes on and on but things start to change and I guess, well, spoilers for PT, but uh, I mean, that experience you're going through and you're trying to figure out, you can solve PT, like you can get through it, but you can also kind of be stuck in this loop forever. Um, But it is this incredibly engrossing, nerve wracking, amazing experience that I still think is like one of the best things I've played this generation. Like, I think one of the most amazing things about PT and it's kind of a shame if you missed it when it came out because um, I mean obviously you can't play it anymore uh, but also it was such a product of its time in that it just kind of came out out of nowhere no one knew how to solve it so there was just like this amazing kind of community of players that sprung up and everyone was sharing information about how to beat PT and like what to do in this and it it felt um it felt kind of like that period of time, and this will only resonate with like probably like three of you, but like uh, pre-internet where basically you got all your game tips from your friends. And so there was just this amazing kind of sense of community as we were all trying to figure out how to play PT and, you know, especially how to unlock the ending, which was very obtuse. And I remember, uh, you know, people were saying, oh, you need to stream it in order to, it needs to be streamed. You know, like there was, there was so many like kind of mad theories. Talk to the ghost through your controller. Exactly. Like there was so many like crazy crackpot theories going on and it was just such an incredible thing to be part of. And like, as you know, the game itself, terrifying, terrifying, still terrifying to this day, but being part of that kind of, it felt like a movement and it was just so thrilling. Kojima gets it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think he gets a lot of like, you know, he gets a lot of hype and I think a lot of people <clears> sort of look at him in the, and look at the hype and go, I, why bother? It's overrated or whatever. But like that level of like dropping, like dropping a triple A game on the Sony stage at Gamescom and be like, oh, there's a new thing out. It's called PT and not being like new Silent Hills coming out to bury the announcement of a game at the end of another game that was like met with limited fanfare <laughs> is such a massive leap of faith. Like imagine if nobody played that, if people are just like, I don't care or I don't get it. Yeah. I mean like if the internet was, was like 95% smaller or something <laughs> like just, but instead it did get that playground mentality. It was, I mean, it was effectively like viral creepypasta. Yeah. And people were like, Oh, like, Oh, how do we get the, the fetus out of the sink? We got to <laughs> assemble the torn up photograph, like all this stuff that you, you have to do for that. Like that was all to unlock a trailer for a game that never came out. Um, and I'm, I'm, this is part of the reason I'm so excited for death stranding. I did a piece on IGN about this, but like the amount of like weird little breadcrumb trails, like Kojima's like really good at like leaving in there and like, you know, hints in plain sight. Like he'll, he'll straight up like, you know, he'll put like a scene from the end of the game in a trailer for something. And you're like, you watch it and you're like, oh, I don't know what's happening here. And uh, I mean, with, with Metal Gear, there's the, the 
whole thing back in Metal Gear Solid 2 about like the nature of the internet and how, uh, you know, there's this kind of signal to noise ratio of just how much people talk and how you can sort of bury information in plain sight in that way. Uh, and I love that he, I think he just gets it. He's just sort of waiting to, for that point where, you know, you can really, you can start to sort of play this almost game of Marco Polo with, with your audience. Uh, and the fact that like the conversation surrounding the game is part of the game at this point. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I, I think FromSoft gets it too, where they're like, you know, it's not like just read the manual and you'll find the secrets and learn how to beat the boss. It's like, there's stuff buried in there. Yeah. yeah. And it just, it just, it just breaks my heart because, um, and yes, I'm, I'm looking forward to Death Stranding as well, but like the fact that we never got to see Silent Hills because it felt like he just, just from playing that, you know, playable teaser, he got silent, the Silent Hill universe and, and Del Toro as well, you know, very much, um, it, it was so deeply unnerving and, and sort of Lynchian. And that was part of the reason why it was scary because it was, it didn't make any sense. It was just, and Silent Hill never really made any sense. Like those games are so wonderful because they're so ripe for interpretation. There's nothing black and white about those games. You know, there are so many, like that, that's why there are so many like endings you can unlock. <laughs> um, and there was one in, I forget which Silent Hill, but like, it was like, there was a dog controlling the proceedings all along or something like that. Like it was just, just bananas stuff. Um, and he, he just really got that sense of uh, just being like ever so slightly divorced from reality, like putting you in a, in a place that should feel warm and welcome but just is instead incredibly unnerving because it's slightly off. And I just wish we could have seen that as a fully-fledged game, you know? Like I, I, I couldn't have – I honestly still to this day couldn't think of a better partnership than those two creatives getting together to work on this game. Norman Reedus is fine. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure he's got some great ideas, but it was it was Del Toro and Kojima that I was most excited about. I mean, I remember reading a thing about how there were plans. I don't know if this is true or not. About there was going to be plans to have you basically in the you know user agreement you signed at the beginning, like put in your phone number or something. Like your the game would call you, it would like text you while you were playing it, like stuff like like Kojima like loves to break the fourth wall. It oh, loves he loves he loves that. a troll. Oh, yeah. I you know yeah. ever since checking the back of the Metal Gear Solid case yeah. for the codec number, it's like he loves a good troll. Yeah, and it's such a. I mean, I hope we get some of that that DNA in in Death Stranding, but. I hope so too. Yeah, I'm, I'm very curious to, like, we'll never know, of course, but I, I'd be so curious to know what from that was going to inspire PT ended up informing what Death Stranding is, especially um, we haven't, there is definitely, like, scarier elements, I think, of what we've seen of Death Stranding, but there was something, like you said, Lucy, it made, like, the familiar feel so unfamiliar mm. and just the sense of you're walking through this hallway and then there is a refrigerator chained from the ceiling or the smoking, talking bicycle baby <laughs> in the bathroom or just obviously being haunted by i forget the ghost woman's name um lisa lisa thank you um but the impeccable way that she freaked you out every time she was like sneaking slightly around you was just oh it nailed it and again like just seeing her sort of suspended this is what um the uh slender games did so well is you know just seeing the creature sort of there is is almost more terrifying because you know you have to approach it you know you have to be, get closer to it. Yeah, it's almost more terrifying that it just suddenly being in your face because it's like it's there's something so incredibly unnerving about it just standing there watching you. Yeah. No, I think that's yeah. I think that is the, the the best horror is not like jump scares. I hate because mm. they're just like they they feel cheap. They feel they can be earned. They can be well executed, but I still think they're cheap. They're a punch in the face. Whereas if it's like when you like those when you see it, you'll crap bricks memes of like. <laughs> There's a thing in there. 
you haven't seen there it is now you see it you know yeah well it's yeah. like the alien unfilling when um ripley mm -hmm. thinks that she's safe yep and you just slowly see it happening and it's just it's, it, it's the slowness of it mm -hmm. yeah it, it is such uh, a smart slow burn yeah. i i love that it exists it is a bummer that you can't easily uh, access it these days, but I feel like it's one of those things we'll be talking about for a very long time to come. Um, but of course, moving on from that little bit of Kojima information, we do know that Kojima is going to be showing off a new look at Death Stranding at Gamescom during the opening night press conference on August 19th. Uh, so I quickly want to ask, what do you expect to see or are you hoping to see from Death Stranding at this time out? Slash, what do you not want to see? Because I know we've talked before about like, I, I just want to play the game. I don't want to see too much anymore. But knowing that we will, what do you hope to see? I think we're on the cusp of having what the sort of moment-to-moment -moment gameplay of that game explained to us. Like, I think that he's going to come out and be like, here's a, here's a mission or a quest or whatever the, the thing you're going to be doing. Like, we know that there's a certain amount of sort of like, I don't know, you're, you're a porter. You're like a delivery guy. You're supposed to be like connecting the dots between different like separate, like ununited states of America or whatever it is. Um, I think it's going to be like a, I mean, we got like a kind of speed run version of this with the Metal Gear Solid five demo that was like, Hey, we're going to sneak into this encampment and, and, uh, rescue, uh, Kaz Miller or whatever, like it just, and it was like speeding up the boring parts and then jumping through and beating up a bunch of guys. I think it's going to be like, okay, here is a, an extended version of those weird little snippets of gameplay we've seen throughout and demonstrating exactly like, I hope it's like a 15 minute demo of just here's how you play death stranding and it's more than that because that's how games work. But like to give you a better idea of what you'll be doing here it is. Yeah. I think at this point we kind of need to see that. I think um, we need to see just something very, as you say, Max, just minute to minute, like just traversing through one particular area and where you just get a slice of all the little, you know, things you'll be doing from yeah, as moment, to moment as yeah. you, as you move through that environment. Because, um, you know, I think there is, there's, on the one hand, you've got Kojima being a magnificent troll and um, being very uh, mysterious about what Death Stranding actually is and, and building that kind of hype because we all know, we've all got big, high expectations for a Kojima video game. Um, and then there's actually really not knowing anything about it. And that could be of concern to Sony um, because, you know, like, there's the Kojima fan base who's going to buy whatever he makes and then there's everyone else. And it's like you, you want to actually show everyone else what that game is. So, yeah, I, I really hope that we do see a significant chunk of gameplay. Um, and I'd like to see the, the whole, like, multiplayer aspect of it as well. Like, what does that look like and how does that work? Yeah, I'm really curious to see how much they dive into that pre-launch because that feels so predicated on what the like user base ends up being mm. size-wise and everything. But yeah, I, I, we've talked a bit about it before. Sony is going to sell this game as the game with all the celebrity faces you know in a weird world going on during like mainstream football games. But how they sell the game to people who play games but may not love Kojima is very interesting because right now we have just gotten these very very like it, engaging but mm -hmm. still Kojima-focused tone pieces i feel like no matter what they show people are gonna go meh yeah and i think there's gonna be more to it than that 
whatever that means. I also feel like it could excitably be a game we don't get a full sense of in the first week or two it comes out, which I is a refreshing change of pace because I feel like we all just, oh, that's how a game works and now we know, but there may be something six months down the line that changes what we think of this game uh, or recontextualizes things. I'm excited to see what that is, but of course we have a bit to go before that game comes out. I did want to hear uh, if you, both of you could have Sony announce anything else at the show. Um, Jeff Keighley did say Sony will be at this press conference, whether that's just with Death Stranding or something else. We'll see. Uh, but if you could see them announce anything else right now, what would you like them to talk about or show off? I mean, I was thinking about this for a while, and it's just like I just don't realistically see them bringing any of the heavy hitters. Yeah. Um, so one thing that I thought could be feasible is a state of play is kind of dropped during Gamescom, which is a secondary look at Death Stranding, like outside of Keeley's mm. um, thing. So it's just like the, their focus very much is like a big Death Stranding push because I don't really see how they would benefit at this point from just being like, surprise, here's the Last of Us release date or something like that. Like it's just like it's not – yeah, I don't think that that I – don't, I don't see Gamescom being that, that show. Why bury that release date in a show that has so many other players? Exactly, basically. exactly. Like I can see this being very much like a Death Stranding, like, okay, this is our last – this is our last chance team. Yeah. <laughs> you know, let's sell this game. So um, that's, yeah, that's my prediction. Yeah. Max, what about you? Anything you'd want to see or? Um, mm, I don't know. Dino <laughs> Crisis. That's not yeah. them. I don't, know. I don't know. Like, I don't know what's, I feel like Sony's being pretty smart right now, kind of playing things close to their chest with um, its chest. Bad about that. We always say I'm like like sports. We're style guys. You're supposed to be like the company. <laughs> I always know. tell people off for saying they and when I'm editing, but yeah. I say oh, they say all the time yeah. on this show. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The people who work at Sony, <laughs> they <laughs> Thank might. You. Um, but no, like um, I don't know. They, uh, Sony's kind of keeping things like on the DL because we clearly have new consoles next year or sometime shortly thereafter, and I think that they really did burn themselves out by like showing too much too soon. Um, obviously days gone was, uh, received different ways, but people did enjoy it and they've added golf carts and stuff to that. But I think there was sort of a certain amount of fatigue with having it shown off as far along as it was mm -hmm. it had that inevitable delay. And it's like, you're less likely to delay a game or disappoint people by delaying a game if you don't announce the release date, you know, so far along. So stuff like that. I don't, I don't know what they would, what they would do at this point. Yeah. The, the only thing I think for me would be, uh, an announcement of something early next year. Not, I don't want to say like B tier, but something that is not The Last of Us or Ghost of Tsushima, but something like a new Ratchet and Clank, or there have been rumors about that for like months of there maybe being a new Ratchet, or something along those lines of a Sony franchise that everyone loves, but isn't necessarily going to be maybe like the marquee blockbuster seller, but could still do really well as a like send off for the PS4. What did we, we were talking about Bluepoint being oh, yeah. working on their biggest thing. Yeah, we still don't know and what that is. Mutter mutterings about Sony buying and more studios and stuff. Do we yeah. know anything about that? Could that be a thing? I mean, that. Uh, yeah, we still don't know anything about what Bluepoint's next project is, as far mm -hmm. as I know, unless I missed a really big press release, uh, which would be bad. But uh, I don't think we know. And they, they seem like a given, given the close relationship they have with Sony. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see them use this show to announce a so, uh, studio acquisition. But who knows? We'll see. Obviously, there's a lot more to come from Sony, and they're playing things pretty coyly. It is playing things pretty coyly, so we'll find out soon. I think we might um, get some some like uh sort of like hey, here's what's going on in Days Gone. We added a golf cart. Here's what else is coming. 
rollerblades, yeah, something <laughs> like that. They're gonna be like, hey, <laughs> skis, dirt bikes, the winter, not like motorcycles. Winter content drop. Tony <laughs> Hawk, everyone. Ooh. <laughs> in days gone, or just in days, just gone. just appearing. Uh, moving on from that, a few things to wrap up the show. Wanted to first jump into memory card. Memory Card is, of course, our weekly segment where we read your wonderful stories from home, uh, viewers and listeners, about funny, sad, happy, whatever memories you may have of your gaming life. Uh, this week's comes from Terrence. Terrence wrote in and said, Hey, Beyond Crew, my memory card comes to you from a beach in Spain where I'm catching up on the previous three episodes of Podcast Beyond that I've been saving for my holiday. When I was younger, I went around my cousin's house who let me play Toy Story 2 Buzz Lightyear to the rescue on his original PlayStation, and I was instantly hooked. I thought it was amazing how I was able to, tra to traverse this little character around Andy's room and is the earliest gaming memory I have. A few years went past of me nagging my parents for the new PS2 that had come out, which I wanted so badly. Christmas came, and it was, of course, top of my list. We went to my grandparents, as we do still every year, and I started to unwrap my last present, which had been held back until the end. Lo and behold, within was a PlayStation 2 in that iconic blue box. I was delighted. Being at my grandparents' house, they are very funny about technology and feel that if you do something that isn't as simple as turning it on or changing the channel, you'll mess it up. I was uh, looking at my new PS2 while whilst everyone else was admiring their new gifts and knew I would have to wait until we went home the following day before I could start to play because there was no chance my grandparents would let me hook it up on their TV. Uh, but then there was a knock on the door, which was my dad, who had gone to the car to collect my bulky TV, which he had smuggled over for me in order to play. I was so excited and rushed to unbox the PS2, plugged it in, and spent most of the day playing Ratchet and Clank, which remains my favorite game series today. I'll never forget this memory, and I'm always reminded of it, of it when we go to my grandparents at Christmas. Love listening to the show and hearing about other listeners' PlayStation memories for this brand that we all adore, Beyond. Yes. Beyond. Okay. Suck it, grandparents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just, that is, that's awesome. I love that, like, it, it's okay if you bring in a secondary television and hook it up there. That's fine. But if you touch our TV, we're going to have problems. Yeah. Um, thank you, Terrence, for writing in. Uh, remember, you can send in those stories to beyond at IGN.com with the subject line memory card, and we'll read those on for the weeks to come. Uh, before we do wrap up, two other segments. One is a trophy test. Uh, I'm gonna, I can't hide my screen from you guys, but luckily, the answers aren't labeled. Okay. Uh, we're diving oh. into a trophy because test. Because I can't not look. That's fine. I understand. I am not look cheating. It's just right in my... No, this will help I you. Feel, I feel like I've been like, looking over your shoulder this whole time. It's like, fine. What did Yves Gimo say? <laughs> <laughs> um, well... Here back on Trophy Test, uh, since we're in the 600s now, I'm deciding to actually keep track of all this stuff and how it works every week. I will give you the description of a certain number of trophies from a specific game or a series of games. Uh, then I will give you both a real and a fake title. You have to tell me what is the real title of the game. Um, I will take a tally at the end of each trophy test, and by the end of the year, we'll have a winner. Luckily, no one is a loser on trophy tests, so we either will award gold, silver, and bronze if we have three players, gold or silver, or uh, so have you. And then by the end of the year, I'll award the platinum trophy for the trophy test. Keeping score? I am. I, I started a what master. About like doc. weeks when I'm like in the f f traveling. And You'll have, have to like, show up. You have to have like Tom on here or something. Yeah, to, uh, Jr. Oh. is currently the winner. That's uh, he, not okay. He is the lead. Max, we're not even on the board. Yeah, you will be after this week. So good luck to you both because JR these works trophies. In, he works in guides. No, he doesn't. He's he no, on the features team now. <laughs> no, he did. Yeah, true. He probably knows all sorts of trophies and secrets. Yeah. That's not fair at all. He only knows like GTA Online trophies. To Can we fair. write a letter to the management? Yeah, happily. I won't read it on the show. Okay. Uh, moving on, these trophies are for The Last of Us, uh, I believe the PS4 release. Uh, I have five trophies ahead of me. And we'll begin. So the first trophy's description is fully upgrade all weapons. Is the trophy's name 
for emergencies only or locked and loaded. Again, fully upgrade all weapons for emer- emergencies I'm go only. Locked and loaded. I'm going to go with for emergencies only. All right, let me put down your initials so I don't mess this up. Lucy, you got that one correct. For emer- emergencies only is the correct trophy name. Sorry, Max. Locked and loaded is too pedestrian. That's fair. They're, they're frequently bad. It's true. <laughs> the trophy <laughs> It's <time>. very true. <laughs> Moving on to the next one. Unlock all shiv doors. Is it either master of unlocking or master lock picker? Max, I'll go with you first. Master of unlocking or yes, master, master lock? Master of unlocking. Can they use that? I'm going to go with master un- unlocking. Well. You're both saying master of unlocking? Yeah. You're both correct. It is master of unlocking. Oh. Uh, Lucy, you currently have two. Max, you have one. Is the next, uh, this trophy, engage in all optional conversations. Is the real trophy either, hey, listen, or I want to talk about it? Hey, listen. I'm also going to say, hey, listen. You're both incorrect, as I want to talk about it. Yeah. Very happy about that one. <laughs> it's like See, someone was like, okay, we've run, out, we've run out of ideas. We've got to go, we've got to go gold, quick. Say something. Uh, moving on from that, craft every item. Let's gear up or ready for anything. Ready for anything. Ready for anything. It's got to be that. So let's gear up. This, this sucks. Sorry to you both. Uh, final trophy. It's like they gave these to the, like, the person who does catering at Naughty Dog. <laughs> Like, ah, oh, quick. Figure all these out. We'll figure out this last trophy. It is to collect all comics. Is it Endure and Survive or a True Believer? A True, true believer. believer. You're both incorrect. It is Endure and what? Survive. You're giving them too much credit. Jonathan, you should get into the trophy naming business I because I feel like you're firm. better than the people who are naming the trophies. I'm sure they're trying their hardest. But it should have been a true believer. Uh, anyway, Lucy, congratulations. Two to one. Thank you. Uh, two points to Max's one. You've won gold this week. Max, you've won silver. Congratulations to you both, as there's never a loser on Trophy Test. What if you Apart lose? from silver, well, then, yeah. Yeah, which then is you, second. Then you lose. But you're not I don't bronze. Think I'm, not really, I th- I'm feeling kind of bronze this week. Yeah. <laughs> put me down you want bronze, me to just give you, you know? the bronze? Okay. Yeah. We had a joke when I worked in the Australian office that bronze was Kiwi gold. <laughs> <laughs> It's <laughs> New Zealand gold. I love that. So mean. Uh, before we wrap up, there's one final segment I didn't put on the show, but it's called What Does Max Have in His Pocket? Oh, yeah, I put that on there as a joke. I don't have Max, what, you don't have anything in your pocket? I'll give nothing you... Okay, you got... Do you have something in your pocket? two things... Wait. Here, keys. Two things in my pocket. Okay, you got one of them. What's okay. the other thing? <laughs> uh, keys. Wallet? I don't know where my wallet is, actually. That's not great. Well, okay, I'll give you a hint. You listen to music with these. Apple iPods or whatever they're iPod. called. No. <laughs> what are they called? AirPods. AirPods. What am I, made of money? No, they're Just like headphones? The, the cheap ones from the... Fair Amazon. enough. Yeah. All right. But they are headphones, so you both win and you both get bronze trophies. Yay. What's in Max's pocket this week? <laughs> I totally forgot I wrote that on there. Sorry, <laughs> sorry about that. That's fine. Uh, thank you all for listening to this segment, What Does Max Have in His Pocket? And for listening to episode 602 of Podcast Beyond. Uh, we are live every Wednesday, 3 p.m. Pacific at beyond.ign.com and youtube.com slash Beyond in video form and then in audio form on all your favorite podcast services around the world. When we are not posting new episodes of Beyond, we are, of course, at IGN.com and the various many ways you can watch IGN and 
uh, all of the things we read and write. So please check all of that out. Um, before we head out, Max, where can people find you and what do you want to tell You can find me uh, at Max Scoville on Twitter and Instagram. And if you have any suggestions for what I should put in my pockets, please let me know and I, I'll try to we'll put do those that things in, the in my pockets. Uh, and Lucy, what about you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Luce, L-U-C-E, O'Brien. And as I mentioned earlier, you both will be at Gamescom next week. So please, please watch all of IGN's crazy packed Gamescom coverage. We have so much coming to you. I will be here, not at Gamescom, but still helping with the coverage. And you can find me at JM Dornbush on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, thank you all so much for listening and watching to this episode. And as always, beyond. 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 Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.